Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. In this episode, Chris and Corey are joined by the brilliant Dr. Mindy Weinstein, marketing expert and author of the best-selling book, The Power of Scarcity. If you want to boost your sales game, this episode is a must-listen. Dr. Weinstein breaks down the secrets behind scarcity in its four types, time-related, demand-related, supply-related, and limited-edition scarcity. Learn how to tap into the psychology of scarcity and motivate your customers to take action. Together, they explore the dynamics of scarcity in business and the impact it has on sales and marketing strategies. And they also emphasize the importance of trust and credibility. Don't be that professional that abuses scarcity. Build genuine relationships first. Join the market dominance, guys, for an insightful exploration of power of scarcity in sales in Cracking the Code, Scarcity Strategies for Sales Success. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank and, as always, Chris Beal, the sage of sales, the prophet of profit, and the hawking of hawking. But Chris, even though you have those three vaunted titles that we've used as your gnome de guerre, I guess you could say, for the last several years, we have somebody who rivals that little triumvirate of a title, and that is Dr. Mindy Weinstein. You were named as one of the top women in marketing globally. So put that in your hat, Chris, <laughs> right? Sage of sales, profit of profit. We have Dr. Mindy Weinstein, MBA from ASU, professor of marketing here at Grand Canyon University, and the best-selling author from McGraw-Hill of The Power of Scarcity. So Chris, that's why we wanted to coerce, cajole, albeit probably subtly threatened Dr. Mindy Weinstein to finally jump on an episode of the Market Dominance Guy so we can talk about scarcity since we've talked about this as a backbone of sales at the crossroads for many, many of our nearly 200 episodes. So welcome, Dr. Weinstein, to the Market Dominance Guys. Chris. Hey, what can I say? We share something, Mindy, or Dr. Weinstein. Um <laughs> My dad got an MBA from ASU also. Oh, and, really? And I spent my childhood almost literally crawling the stacks in that big library there. That wow. was how I grew up, was in the <laughs> ASU library when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. It's not a bad way to grow up, that's for sure. Yeah, it's good school. Well, I'm so excited to be here today. Well, it's well, good to have you. You also, you've been promoted and recommended, and you are also a student of the great... Dr. Robert Cialdini. And Chris, we were talking several times, uh, certainly about persuasion and mm -hmm. persuasion and the power of influence and how that affects many of our theories and our principles here in market dominance, guys. So doctor, talk a little bit about the relationship that you have certainly with um, the good Dr. Robert and influence and how that helped kind of mold what you uh, turned from a dissertation into your best-selling book, The yeah. Power of Scarcity. Yeah, it actually started out several years ago. It was over a cup of coffee. That's even my first chapter in my book is <laughs> talking about the cup of coffee with Dr. Cialdini. So I had just heard him 
gosh, now it's been probably almost 10 years. I was at a conference. I'm like, you know, I loved his message, always had a strong desire to understand motivation and influence because I'm in marketing. I mean, that's what we need to do is understand people and what really drives them. And um, when I realized that he was local to me and as I got into my PhD program, I'm like, you know, I'll just reach out and just to see if I can meet up with them. And so he was so gracious. He met me for a cup of coffee in Tempe, Arizona. And we talked about influence and all the different factors. And I was telling him some of the things that I was considering pursuing as I was looking at my dissertation topic. And so we talked about different gaps in research and, and what do we see out there? And so scarcity was one of the things that was mentioned. But even after I left that conversation, I was like, okay, well, that's interesting because I think like a lot of us, we feel like we have scarcity figured out. We're like, oh, I'm doing that, playing a little hard to get, or, you know, I have some type of restriction. So I, I get scarcity. I don't need to really dive into that that much. But after I had that meeting and the more I was doing my research and started doing my testing and experiments, I realized it is so much deeper and more complicated than almost all of us realize. And so that's why I went down that route with my dissertation. Then I turned it into a book and then um, Dr. Cialdini was very gracious again and, and read the whole book too, and gave me a very nice glowing recommendation. And I put that on my book too. So you can see that on the front cover. Yes. A true gem, I believe, is one of the accolades that he mentioned. Chris, you, of course, being in sales and certainly in the catalog business are no stranger to scarcity, certainly as a historian, as a practitioner, as well as CEO of of Connect and Sell. Um, What's your your relationship with Dr. Robert here and the power of those kind of the books, the persuasion, and then also tying into the topic at, at hand, which is scarcity in business today? Well, scarcity, it's quite fascinating because I believe they're in marketing especially, but in sales also, there's sort of a Gresham's law. Gresham's law of money says bad money drives out good, but it's not actually that it's bad money. It's that it's abundant. Counterfeit money is cheap to make and therefore you get a lot of it and therefore the good money goes under the mattress and the counterfeit money stays in circulation. And until something happens and the something usually is violent. Lots of people die. And, you know, Isaac Newton was involved in this. Us, us, us physicists are always up to no good, I think, is one of the problems. Uh, so in, in sales, this phenomenon repeats in waves, the Gresham's Law phenomenon, which is cheap, easy communications drive out scarce, valuable communications, drive them into the corner, so to speak. And it turns out all the business is done in the scarce, valuable conversations, and the other cheap stuff gets the label spam. So it's happening right now with ChatGPT, right? You and I and ChatGPT and Susan wrote a book. Well, that book is crap. It's a wonderful experience to take two days to write a book based on our podcast because it was fun to use ChatGPT, but we know damn well that that book is as close to spam as possible for something that's based on actual human beings speaking with each other. And the reason is because it took me from six in the morning on a Saturday until 10 in the evening on a Sunday, the same weekend, to get this book all the way done and to Amazon and, you know, rocking and rolling. Took the scarcity away. And if I compare it to my wife's book or Mindy to your book, My wife wrote a book called Love Your Team, a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world. 
And that book was scarce. It's hard to produce. The scarcity is, mm-hmm. are you going to spend 11 months of your life while working another job and planning a wedding and, and a honeymoon and dealing with some guy who shows up in your life, doing something unfamiliar and exhausting, right? And you know it, you, you edit the book. I don't know how many edit passes you had on our honeymoon. I personally did seven edit passes of this entire book. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's the essence of the nature of value. And, and the flip is interesting, which is in sales, folks get so excited when the next cheap thing comes along. Mm-hmm. And they don't think about what the consequence is, which is it drives down the value of them as sellers to use cheap means of communicating, you know, mass personalization with no effort whatsoever. Spam, (laughs) right? We see this now. And in my company, what we're doing is we're taking something that's become so scarce that people don't do it anymore, which is getting live conversations between somebody with a problem and might have a problem and somebody might have a solution. And we make them practical, but still scarce. And the way that they become scarce is the price goes up. As you can dial the phone for a penny, but you have to pay us a lot more in order to have a conversation with somebody. Yes, that's right. Mindy, what do you think of that as far as we're talking about? You talk certainly about the four different types of scarcity, which Mm -hmm. we want to talk about. I think Chris hit about three of those four that he's experienced there. Yeah. Okay. We'll have a lot of thoughts because you also threw out chat GPT in there too, because you have a very interesting point. And this actually all ties to why I think scarcity is such a fascinating topic is that you talked about personalization. And a lot of times we want to just do something mass. I actually just this week, and I sent a screenshot to my husband as a joke this week, I got an email talking about how to handle my taxes per my divorce. And so I screenshotted it and sent it to him. I go, did you not tell me something? It's like, am I like missing? Did I miss the papers you sent me? And so he laughed. And then I kid you not, uh, an hour later, I got an email from that mass email that it was sent out to from the accounting firm saying, we apologize. We thought we segmented our message to a certain audience, but I thought, you know, there you go, right? It's an example of what you're saying. And so I even feel like for scarcity, what happens too, like the easy way to do scarcity is just to say, you know what, I'm going to slap a discount on this, or I'm going to put some kind of for this period only terminology. And it's just going to reach everyone. Everyone's going to be happy and I'm going to get all these sales. Well, not necessarily. And I think it goes to what you're saying, personalization. Well, who am I trying to reach? Am I trying to reach a customer who really wants to feel like they have something that's exclusive and different than everybody else, that they want that premier or premium service that I can provide? That's important because it's going to change how you message things versus someone who is just after the deal and it's a commodity and they don't really care. Well, yeah, then let's absolutely use time-related scarcity. So I think even going to personalization If you really want scarcity to work in your business and in your sales, you have to know how the different types of scarcity interact with different people. You know, I'll just throw out the four types, which we kind of already mentioned, but I'll just put a label on them. So we're on the same page, but you know, you have time related scarcity. I mean, that's sales, any kind of time restriction, you have demand related scarcity. So that's of course, a lot of what we saw during COVID, huge demand, all of a sudden everyone wanted toilet paper, but then that led to supply related scarcity, which is any kind of shortage, but the supply related companies also can control that a bit too. 
And so we see that a lot with luxury and then limited edition. And so they just work differently. So I think that if you want to be successful, you can't just throw a one size fits all and I'm good. Check the box. I incorporated scarcity into my message. Yeah. We do this as sales reps, right, Emma? As an amateur sales rep, right? I still fall into these techniques, Chris and Mindy, because they're seemingly easy, but they hurt my credibility. Don't they, in a lot of ways, if I try to introduce scarcity, maybe a little too quickly or a little too unelegantly, what happens when I do that? We talk a lot about this, I think, but what happens, Mindy, when we do that as sales folks? Yeah. And that's a really good point. And that's something that I try to call out in my book too. It's that for someone to listen to that scarcity type message, they have to trust you which means you have to prove your credibility and your expertise. Well, how do you do that? Well, if it makes sense that you are talking about something being scarce and you wouldn't know that, well, they're going to listen to you a bit. Mm -hmm. But if you all of a sudden just out the gate, you're like, well, during this call only, will you get this deal? Well, they don't know and trust you yet. So you have to build a little bit of that. And so that's a huge thing. And we've seen a lot of studies that just even bring that point home even more, which it's not going to be shocking, but there was one study done that showed that when people saw, like we're presented with different financial messages. So things that had to do with investing their money, if there was an expert quote or recommendation next to one of them, they just blindly followed that because now they're like, okay, I can let my guard down. I can trust this person. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's Modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. So you have to take that time to build a bit of the trust. And it also can't be the unexpected. It has to fit what you're selling. And I had a situation where both of my stories today, I realized are accounting stories, go figure. But it was an accountant that I had contacted because I wanted to hire a new accounting firm for my business. And uh, one had connected with me on LinkedIn. And so I reached out and I get on the phone with him and he was going through here's what we provide to marketing agencies. And it was a great conversation. And then he goes, and this is our retainer. And he goes, but if you agree to the retainer right now on this phone call, I kid you not, he said this, he goes, then it's this price. I was a little shocked because it's not something that I would expect in that type of scenario of why is my accountant doing high pressure sales on me? (laughs) We don't like that. So you have to think again about where are you coming from with your business? Who is your audience? High pressure is not going to work in that situation. What would have worked better? This would have got me to hire him is if he was like, you know, uh, it's a really good timing you called because we're able to take on one new client right now. That would have had me <laughs> tell you what, that would have had me. I'd be like, okay, call. I want in. You let me in versus here's for your price. And by the way, I said no. And then I kept getting emails of, well, I'll extend that offer to you. It just, mm-hmm. you know, left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Well, Chris certainly is one of the more preeminent voices in trust in sales today. 
And I think it ties in a lot, Mindy, with what what you're saying. And certainly what we've talked about, at least half of our 200 episodes, I think, Chris, don't you? Oh, yeah, at least half. I mean, it's so interesting to me when you break stuff down, like you're breaking this all down, Mindy. It's so interesting because I mean, we break down this first few seconds of a relationship and try to get an answer to the question, how do we build trust in the amount of time we have mm-hmm. to build trust before it's too late? And uh, we were doing it for years and not understanding it. And then Chris Voss uh, at dinner one night, I was lucky enough to be seated with him. And I asked him, how long do we have to get trust in a cold call? And he said, seven seconds, just like that. Now, that alone, the fact that he gave me this rare piece of information and he's credible made me trust mm-hmm. that. I mean, I already trust him, read his book three times, right? Mm-hmm. But it was the way he delivered it, that certainty, which is very rare when you ask somebody a question mm-hmm. like that. Normally, well, it depends, right? This was <laughs> yes. the opposite. This was the scarce opposite of mm-hmm. it depends, which is here's a gift, seven seconds. And then I did something that is not scarce in my world, which is I made a joke and I said, well, that's funny because our research says eight seconds. <laughs> and he said, your research is wrong. It's seven <laughs> seconds at that point. I mean, <laughs> I'm convicted, right? The FBI's got me like this. But um, I, then I asked him, well, what, what do we have to do in those seven seconds? Because to me, until you have trust, you have nothing. You're, you're doomed. Mm-hmm. Anthony Anarino's uh, recent book, Elite Sales Strategies opens with this quote that says, people buy from people they trust to make a decision they don't trust themselves to make. That that's the essence Mm -hmm. of why they buy, especially in B2B where they're risking their career. Sadly, the quote was of me. He didn't tell me. (laughs) So he just put it in the book. And then I saw it as he signed the book. And I was looking at it that night going, I I think think that's me. (laughs) Which itself was, of course, not rare for Anthony and Reno. But the idea that all commercial success is based on trust, and therefore, to me, sales itself is a very civilizing influence on all of us, because we're obliged to go through that scarce trust needle, the eye of the trust Mm -hmm. needle, in order to be able to ultimately transact when transacting is the right thing to do. And then we have to do something else that's as scarce as hen's teeth. I always loved that phrase. I used to raise chickens. Um, <laughs> duck don't have teeth either. But anyway, the question now is, well, okay, so what percentage of the people that we're selling to are actually capable of buying our product right now, even if they're capable of buying the product by category, you know, by what they call ICP, ideal customer profile? And the answer is really scarce. It's 8.6%. 11 twelfths of them are not in market now because they bought something like that to solve that problem too recently. So you have another scarcity thing mm-hmm. going on there, which you need to deal with. And you need to deal with it through nurturing and patience mm-hmm. and allowing this trust to stay in place long enough to finally get to the point where, yeah, it's time to replace that mm-hmm. car. Or it's time to replace that whatever it happens to be. I think this interplay between scarcity and trust is the essence of business. I think that's kind of it, right? Things that are abundant are free. Things that are free can't be transacted at a profit because your gross margin is zero. You know, overabundance leads to zero to zero margins, the true commoditization. And everything that's purchased requires trust to be built 
before somebody's going to risk as a consumer, their money, or as a business professional, something more valuable, which is their career, their kids' college education, their retirement. So it's the whole game. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, Mindy, what happens in the brain when we're faced with scarcity? Because if we understand what's happening in the brain, the quote that Chris just communicated mm-hmm. with Anthony in an arrow is that you have to have that trust. But deeply from a biology perspective, what's happening in the brain, why we respond to mm-hmm. it and why it's so important not to abuse what you're trying to create, which is scarcity, which is to build trust so they eventually buy. Yeah, yeah. No, good question. And that's actually what I was thinking of because we we're talking about value because value is the word that keeps coming to my head. And, you know, Chris, as you're talking, is that for customers who want to move forward or clients, I mean, there has to be some type of value there. And that's one of the things that scarcity does. And this is something that we've seen in neurological studies through MRI scans. So the actual brain itself hooked up so we could see what's lighting up and what's not. So there's two different studies that I want to bring up. Uh, One has to do with the valuation process. And so participants were brought in um, hooked up to MRI machines and they were shown different scarce conditions. And there was also one done for decision-making. And in both of those scenarios, they were faced with, like I said, a scarce condition, but the scarcity had to do either with a promotion. So a product was on sale and it was going to be this percentage or an auction simulation. Those were the two things. So think eBay. And in those particular studies, what the researchers found was that When faced with scarcity, the part of the brain that has to do with valuation, so valuing something, lit up right away, showing that when faced with scarcity, we assume, our brains do, just automatically, that is more valuable and the value goes up. Now for decisions, and this is the one where you really too have to be careful because it's so powerful, is that the part of the brain that has to do with decisions lights up right away, but what we've seen in those scans is that the normal steps that would be taken to get to that decision are just skipped. But it makes sense when you stop and you think about it, because if something seems scarce, meaning either there's only so many left or there's the restrictions are there in some form is that our mind now thinks this is urgent. And so it's not going to deliberate over all the different choices and the alternatives and wait, you know, let me stop and think it's all automatic. And the thing about everything I'm talking about, I mean, this is all subconscious It's happening. We're not necessarily thinking through this. We can stop because it is subconscious, meaning you can't stop and be like, okay, whoa, whoa, what am I doing here? but we just don't. And so the way that our brains are wired is we're constantly looking for mental shortcuts where we could value something right away or make a decision, offload the burden of making a decision to that expert that we trust because they're telling us that this is the situation. We're going to believe them. And so that's what makes it so powerful. But I do want to add on that because Corey, you said something related to this is that you have to be careful because knowing this, I feel like is really powerful. And I remember as I was writing my book, like, am I giving everyone just like all the tools they need to like manipulate everybody else now? And I was really concerned about that. And so the thing about it is it needs to be authentic. It does. It needs to be authentic and natural, but the way that scarcity works, and I broke it down to the four different types, 
I guarantee there's some type of scarcity in your business somewhere, whether it's you team can only take on so many more projects or so many more clients, or there's some supply issues going on, or you did a limited edition package or product. I mean, it can naturally exist. And when you do that and you just communicate it, cause you've already built that trust, that's where you see positive things happening. And so you can have fun with it. You can make excitement. You can build relationships because even if that particular client or customer is not ready right now to make that decision, staying in contact with them and communicating any type of scarcity is going to help too. And so I've, there's one business I was just thinking of that has been doing that. And so they'll do events and they can only have so many people in that event so even if someone hadn't come to their event before, they'll still have them on their list and say, Hey, this upcoming one, we have five seats left, four seats left. And it's true because you can only put so many people in the actual building. <laughs> and so you can have a lot of creativity with it. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.